Hello, Winding Paths listeners. Today I'm talking to Brian Wood, or more accurately, my former co-host Aaron Shapiro is talking to Brian Wood as my audio was garbled. I'm editing a backlog of episodes and I had a mic issue for a while, which we didn't catch, so there are a few episodes like this. Moral of the story is don't record 10 episodes in a row without listening to any of them. Brian Wood is the CEO of Panopic, a peer-to-peer sports betting app that's goal is not to manipulate you into losing your money and get you gambling addicted while warning you about the possibility of getting addicted, but rather to allow you to have some competitive fun betting against friends and finally figuring out who really knows sports the best. After graduating law school in 2012, Brian went to work at... Uh, actually, he went to play poker online in Montreal because he was completely irresponsible and it was illegal to play for cash online in the States. Yep, rather than go the big law route, Brian's been supporting himself playing poker for the past 10 years while he figured out what to do with his life. I wish I had that degree of irresponsibility. This was a really fun and different conversation. Hope you enjoy. Brian, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Let's dive right in. So you graduated law school. You'll tell us when in a moment. Um, What did you do right after you graduated? Where'd you go? Uh, right after I graduated, I actually went to Montreal to play poker online because they had actually banned poker in the state at points. So, uh, Montreal seemed cool. Uh, it was close by. Um, so I didn't speak any French, which was actually more of a problem than I realized. Uh, but yeah, so I went over there and I played poker for about three months there. And then I came back to New York City and started playing poker in like underground games in Manhattan, basically. Where did you go to law school? I went to law school at Harvard. Okay. When did you graduate? I graduated in 2012. And how many of your friends went into large law firms? Pretty much all of them, I think. I don't really, I think, I I can't think of one that did it. Can you recall any conversations where they're like, oh, what are you doing next year? And you're like, well, I have fun to go play poker, but actually I'm going to have to leave the country because it's not legal here. And no, I'm not going to a large law firm. Well, everyone sort of knew because I was running. I was running my own uh, nonprofit, small nonprofit at the time. We were doing like a, it was an educational nonprofit. We were basically doing critical thinking for high school students. So we would teach them you know, skills through like logic mapping and things like that. So that was always my passion. So poker was a way for me to actually pursue my passions at the same time and have like basically, basically the best way I can describe it is it's like a, you know how people have a, a job where they wait tables where they're trying to be an actor. Like that was poker for me. Like I was, I was trying to always do other things. So poker was a way for me to actually have that freedom to do things that I wanted to do. How did you get into that? I think most people weigh tables because uh, they are not good enough at poker to actually make money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think that that could be the case. I mean, I was always good at it in high school, and then in college, I, pay, I played on the side, and in law school, I played on the side to pay off like tuition and stuff. And after law school, I, you know, I didn't, I was doing these things I was passionate about and I didn't really want a professional job. And I just thought, well, maybe, maybe I can play poker as a hobby on the side and basically like make enough to support myself and then do the things I actually care about, which is obviously not a very law school attitude right? to have no job. I think I had, I don't remember how much money I had when I graduated law school. I think I had like, like three or $4,000 to my name. So obviously I wasn't, I wasn't the most risk averse person at that point but yeah i just it just sort of started working and like i've always been able to do what i wanted to do i've had very few like traditional jobs mostly the urging of some uh someone i was dating at the time that was like you should get a job what are you doing 
did you explain to her? You're just like, well, I, you know, I play poker. I don't need a job. Yeah, jobs are for suckers. Yeah, sort of, sort of. But it was also like, my mom doesn't like this. Why are you, you know, how, how am I supposed to explain this to my family? And I'm like, <laughs> fair. I mean, I get what you're saying. But, but anyway, I mean, yeah, it was, it was always like, it was, there was never, poker was never like the end game. You know what I mean? It was always sort of, oh, the things I've been doing in the start and startups and like, education and nonprofit world have always been my end game and my passion but poker is just you know it's a hobby that pays the bills i'm just really good it just happens to, it just happens to work really well was there any part of you during law school when everyone else is doing on-campus recruiting that you were like i should go do a couple of interviews or you know it's funny because i i never really wanted to i just I, I, I get the, I get why people did it. And I saw a lot of people that were like, I'm passionate about X, Y, or Z. And I, I came to law school for that. And then they would go to the big firm route, which I don't fault anyone for, because obviously it's a very clear delineated path. Um, and it's very lucrative. And, you know, I mean, you, I could go through all the reasons why people do it. You guys let me explain that to you, but no, I don't know. It was just always like, I didn't, I didn't go to law school for that. And I just didn't want to do it. You know, I, I was like, well, that's not why I'm here. So it's, it's almost like a, a choice I made very clearly before I came to law school. And then when, when they were doing on-campus recruiting, I was like, well, this isn't, this isn't my scene. So I just actually, I came over and I would, I would hang out with my friends there while they were doing interviews and just kind of debrief with just because I was interested in being a spectator, but I never, never did it. So did you do a summer job at all? My first summer, my girlfriend at the time, who actually also was a, she didn't interview either. So I did have some people that didn't interview, but, um, uh, she was doing like environmental law in Chiang Mai in Thailand. So I actually visited, I was playing poker in Chiang Mai basically the first summer of law school. And then the second summer I worked with Professor Hansen. I don't know if you guys remember Professor Hansen, but um, we were doing like some stuff with corporations and, you know, nonprofit kind of stuff related to corporations. Uh, but yeah, no, I never had, a, I don't, I've never really had a traditional job outside of a very few small pockets of like, a few months here or there but yeah it was just it's actually crazy when i look back at it in hindsight because i don't I, I i didn't really set out to be that guy i just sort of happened why did you go to law school because it just strikes it strikes me that like the kind of like that guy that you're describing you never set out to be that guy that guy doesn't go to law school exactly <laughs> no it's, 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 it's a great question um i wanted to do appellate law so i, I really loved I really love Supreme Court law when I was in, in in college, and I thought that Supreme Court, like we were, we I had so many classes in college where we, they were like, you know, uh, we would discuss Roe or we would discuss, you know, Brown v. Board, and we discuss all these cases. And I was like, man, this is so fascinating. Uh, the arguments, the legal nuances, blah blah blah. I really want to be that guy who goes before the Supreme Court and argues and makes law. And then as I got to like legal research and writing, I realized this is all. Legal, the legal system is precedent based, right? It, it exists in a box and, and law only changes when society changes around it, basically. I know that's legal realism in a nutshell, but, you know, it's not like Plessy versus Ferguson and Brown versus Board, which are essentially like the same set of facts, right? In a, in a way. And those cases are decided completely differently because society was completely different at those times. And so I guess I got sort of disillusioned to that whole idea of being a lawyer because I don't have that same patience that, that those people do can sit there and and, and, and wait for incremental change. Like there's things that I care about that I wanted to work on um, that I wanted to push. I just, would, I just wouldn't have the patience for that sort of lifestyle personally. So, and, and, and you know, 
thank God for the people that do it, you know, like that are public defenders or do all that sort of stuff. But like the systemic problems that I have an issue with are things that I want to work on more directly. So that's what I gravitated towards. Basically, it's trying to work on those things. Was it in like your first year legal research and writing course that you were like, mm, this is too slow or like, when did you, when did you sort of discover that? I think because a lot of people sort of don't discover that until they get to their first clerkship or in their first year as a, you know, litigation associate. It's a great question. I mean, the funny thing is I remember like a few weeks into law school, I was like, I need to drop out. <laughs> and I, and I really seriously thought about dropping out, but I was I'm, am I am I so forget that I can drop out of Harvard? Like that seems like a, this is like a kind of a like who the hell am I to like drop out of Harvard? I got in. I should probably finish this. So I mean that was you know I, I don't want to say my thought process was you know, narrow, but that was a big part of it. Is I thought like well I can get this degree and it'll help me in whatever I. I don't know how true that really is. I, don't, I would never really advise someone to go to law school unless they wanted to do law because it's really a trade school. I think. But that said, I mean, it's not like I didn't learn a lot and meet a lot of people I really liked. I just paying off that 200K in debt was a lot of poker. So, I, you know, I probably I probably should have dropped out. But uh, anyway, it ended up being a good time. I learned a lot. We just have to flag for the record. This is kind of one point of disagreement that every person who comes on the podcast obviously has a view on. Is law school a good route if you're not going to practice law? Some people land yes, some people land no. And you are very clearly on the no, it's a school for teaching you how to practice law. If you want to do that, go side. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I couldn't. I, I mean, it's first of all, it doesn't even need to be three years for the people that are practicing law. I think it's way too long. And now there, we could go into the whole thing about this, the, the systemic issues with law school. But yeah, I mean, I think you really have to like the profession of law if you want to go. I, I I feel that very strongly because I don't think you can walk in somewhere and be like, I'm a lawyer. And they're like, cool, here's a here's a job that's like completely non-law, which I think some people think you can do. Um, but I don't think it's as easy as people think because I, I sort of tried it. And maybe it's just me. But you know, when I there, there were times when I was like looking for a job, so I was like, I, job, I should have a job. And, and that was hard. It was harder than you might think, because I would I would tend to be either like underqualified for certain jobs or overqualified. There, I tried I tried to work at um at a homeless shelter doing um basically like placing clients in housing, and they were basically like, "Why are you Why are you here? Like, like you're, you're overqualified for this job." And I'm like, "Well, I want to work in the industry." And I'm like, "They're like, but you you're underqualified for the jobs you might want, and you're overqualified for the jobs I could give you because you don't have any experience in the industry." So like, I don't really know what to tell you know. Be things like so. Then that's kind of what I mean. Is like I wasn't trained for certain things that I might want to do because I went to law school. I couldn't walk into a place and be like, "I want to be an administrator in a nonprofit." Like, well, you went to Harvard Law School. Here's an administrative job in a nonprofit. You know, and and that's and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is is I don't think it's like as versatile of a degree as people might say. I've spoken at this point to hundreds and hundreds of lawyers that have made the jump, and Aaron's probably spoken to quite a number as well. Every single person has to reinvent the wheel to a large extent, unless sometimes it's like a super lucky break, but every person finds their own path and uh, we'll see. Do you think looking back on it now that your law degree has helped you in any meaningful way outside of the friendships that you've developed? 
Yeah, that's it's really interesting because I'm in the process of raising uh, capital right now for my startup, and this is a, I've always self-funded, so I've always funded out of my pocket through poker and down savings. Um, I think it's going to help with that, to be honest. But I think that's just having an Ivy League degree. So you know, because investors are tend to be, have a sort of they, they operate in heuristics, right? They think like, okay, smart guy, smart idea. How big is the market? How good is the team? So like. Harvard Law Degree checks the smart guy box, right? So, like, I probably could have gone to, you know, Columbia undergrad and got the same sort of halo effect. So, I, I, you know, it's hard to say. Like, I don't think I needed to go to law school per se, but the fact that I have a really, you know, prestigious degree is, is, is helpful in that sense. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's so hard to say, like, if the things you learn, they shape the way you think, right? And it probably shaped the way that I saw the world. And I think that I ultimately do really believe that the things that I'm working on will solve social problems. And I think I'm more equipped to do that probably because of things I learned at Harvard Law School because I met a lot of smart people. I took a lot of really great classes and I had you know a lot of great interactions. So it's really hard for me to do the counterfactual and say, like, was it worth it? Because, um, you know, I, maybe I could have had those things like going to meetups with smart people and just like discussing things like who knows. Uh, but I could have like gotten you know, gotten really high with Professor Nesson randomly and like, you know, and who knows? Like, there's a, there's a million ways to do that. I feel like, but it was it was one way. It, it, it definitely had some benefit. If I could do it over again, I would actually um, learn to code and learn and probably go to business school. Honestly, because those are the two things where I feel like I've had to sort of reinvent the one. I don't know how to code, so I've been paying people to code for years. Like even during law school, we were making. I was making a social network for politics and trying to test that, and I was spending a lot of money. Giving money to a coder was terrible. <laughs> it's so hard. It's that. Trying to get someone to code something for you when you don't know how to code is like trying to get someone to fix your car when you don't know anything about cars. Like you go into an auto repair shop and my car won't start. Oh, well, your carburetor's just broken and, and your engine's not running and it's going to cost $3,000. And you're like, does it? I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you assess that? And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same way with coding when someone's like, well, I'm like, oh, I want my app to do, you know, X, Y, and I want, I want my app you know, to do this when you click on it. I want this screen to be blue. And I, you know, it's got to be a social network for politics. And these are all the things that has to have to happen. They're like, well, it's going to be $10,000. And I'm like, is it 10? I don't know. Is that? And then when they do it and it doesn't, and it's not scalable and it doesn't work, it, it's like, well, you completely, you know, it's like, it's like this whole fixes your car and it breaks down in five miles. All I know is that it runs. And then, and then, you know, I don't know that it's a scalable system that the code's written well. And, and that's something that, again, I've, I've come to find people that are good, but that was, that's been absolutely nice. I've made a lot of mistakes in that, in my, on that. Okay, so take us through, you graduate from Harvard Law School, uh, you go play poker in Montreal, and I, I kind of want to, just because I've seen Rounders, and I'm sure you've seen Rounders. Absolutely, uh, of course. And, and deeply curious about your experience playing poker and making money, but you go to Montreal, you do that. What are you trying to do on, or as your sort of main gig that that poker is funding? And then how did that lead you to, to what you're doing today? Yeah, so it's between that, like, I figured, and this has been one of my biggest flaws as an entrepreneur, but I was like, I should have multiple irons in the fire sort of diversify my portfolio as an entrepreneur because, like, the, you know, the more things, it's like floating a lot of boats, you know, hey, I'll, which is the absolute wrong approach, in my opinion. And I've learned that through experience time and time again, because the reality is that, like, doing anything as an entrepreneur, you have to focus, I think. And that's, it's so paramount to be very laser focused on what you're doing. If you try to do five things, You'll probably do all of them mediocre in a mediocre fashion. Whereas if you try, if you really focus on one thing and you do that, 
I think that's really important. Um, but anyway, so I, I was between doing a social network for politics, like I mentioned, and doing that education, high school, critical thinking thing. Um, and I was drawing a small salary at the time from that. Uh, we, were, we, were, we were in a few high schools in Boston and we were making online curriculums and stuff like that. Um, or cur- is it curriculum or curriculum? My Latin's terrible. But anyway, uh, curriculum. Yeah, it was between those two things and I was playing poker. So um, the, 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 the social network for politics was a lot harder because, again, it was code. And the guy who wrote the code for me basically did an awful job and I had no idea. Like thing, I, I clicked things and it sort of worked. But then when I tried to scale it and I had some, another developer come in, they were like, I can't read this code. It's completely wrong. We have to re-scrap it and redo it, which is something that happens with code a lot. The, type, the industry term for that is refactoring, which means like, everything you have is, is trash and we have to restart. So uh, anyway, so that that happened. And then I, I gravitated more towards the educational stuff because my site was a mess and I didn't have money to build a new one. Um, and so I was doing that for a while. And that really was my focus for probably the next like four or five years, I would say, in, in different and varying forms, um, which I could get into if you guys are curious. During that period, how much of your how much of your time are you spending playing poker versus doing these things? Like, how are you splitting up your day? Yeah. So I always tried to be kind of religious about, which is really hard when you're an entrepreneur, but having some sort of schedule. So I would try to play like 25 to 30 hours a week and work like 40 hours a week. So I was working a lot. I was working a lot. I was probably working more than people at firms sometimes. But but with the benefit of like, I made my own hours and I didn't have a, a, a Blackberry or a cell phone. Uh, that was going off at all hours of the night and someone telling me you have to work now, which I think is the worst part of firm life uh, from people that I've talked. I've never experienced it, but that seems like the worst part. Uh, but in any event, um, so I was doing probably like 40 hours a week of just the education stuff and then uh, 20, 30, 25 to 30 hours a week of poker. So I'd play poker. I would always try to play all of Sunday, uh, a weekend, a weekday night and a weekend and a weekend night. So you know, somewhere uh, but I would play a lot. I would, and I would, I would stay. So my hours, my hours have always been crazy. Like I, I best time to play poker is actually at night. Cause that's when people are, um, they're drunk or lonely or not thinking rationally. Um, and they make a lot of mistakes. Uh, so yeah, that's the best time to play. I mean, it's very, it's a very predatory endeavor. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's very zero sum. It's not, it just is what it, it just is what it is. I, you know, I could sit here and sugarcoat it, but it really is just taking people's money. Uh, not, I'm not, you know, you can dress it up all you want, but that's, that's the game. There's a weird thing in poker where like when you get to the highest stakes online, you're playing like the best of the best. But if you go a level above that to live games, um, then you start playing the, the rich millionaires who are terrible and just want to have fun. Uh, so I was I was playing like the highest of the high stakes online and playing these like elite crushing grinders and like you know, trying to beat them. I never got in. I was like no, I was ba- I was a bad poker networker, which was my which was my downfall as a poker player because I, I was an exceptional player like at the table. But the reality is like so much of what you do is dependent upon actually getting into the right games with the right people. And I was always like, ah, poker's like a thing I do on the side. I don't need to participate in it fully. So. So were you were you mainly playing online or is this like you have a friend who brings you to to the dentist game in, in New Rochelle on <laughs> the weekends? So I started I actually started playing in Manhattan and then when I when I came from Montreal I, I was playing underground games in Manhattan basically like like you've seen rounders it was like that yeah. um, except without the Russian mobster. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, there were some there were some monsters, but they weren't Russian. They're no Oreos. Yeah, yeah, they're no Oreos. I, I never, <laughs> I never had my life on the line, or that I. Knew. But yeah, I mean, it was like underground games, probably for like a year or two, and then uh, New Jersey legalized online poker in 2014. So I actually would come. I was living in Manhattan at the time, and the only place that's open with internet access after 9 p.m. is a hotel. So I would come to the W Hotel in Hoboken and in their lobby with my laptop and I would play poker online in the W Hotel. And I'd be like ordering delivery to the hotel. The, the, the people that tell, the delivery guy coming be like, what room are you in? I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Just give me my food. Uh, but but anyways, the whole, yeah. So I, but then I was like, I should probably move to New Jersey. So if I'm going to do this. So then I moved to New Jersey and that made life a lot easier. Um, because, you know, the thing about online is it's, it's basically you can scale the whole endeavor, right? So uh, live, you can only play one table. Um, online, your edge is smaller, but you can play like tables. So if my edge is like 20% of what it is live, but I can play eight tables, then like I'm making more money, right? You know, even if it's a much, much smaller edge, um, I can play, you know, a lot. I can, it's, it's, all, it's all volume based, right? I mean, it's, it's the same way. I basically do what casinos do to people, which is, it doesn't matter, right? Like it, like it's it, that really is that really is what it is, right? Because people go into it, they play they play roulette, right? And like roulette, you you can win, right? You can and you can you can even win like thirteen times in a row, right? You can put like things happen, right? But you're forty six percent to win, and the casino's fifty four, right? So at volume, the casino's going to absolutely obliterate you, and like that's that's what I that's what poker is. It's just getting people to make bad bets at bad odds, and like I may lose in the short term, but over the long term, the variance evens out. So the more you can put in volume, the better. So online is really like the best thing you can do. But the reality is players online tend to be better because like, you know, you, you, you distilled, you've taken away like the, a lot of the heart of the game. So most people that are casual players don't like to play online because it's just like clicking buttons. Was there ever a moment you're sitting in the lobby of the W Hotel in Hoboken or I'm sure you were friends with with people who might have been working very late hours, but were taking home really nice paychecks uh, from you know their jobs at a large law firm, was there ever a moment when you were like, maybe I should go try and do that? Yeah, I, I, well, it's funny because you have like um, when all your peers outpace you financially, it's very uh, overwhelming. Because I'd always been, I always sort of been on the path. Like I went to a, a, a good school in high school, and like I went to Georgetown undergrad. And I went to Harvard Law School and then I always had it when people were like, what do you do? And I was I was growing up, I always had an answer like, oh, I go to this school, like, I'm great, you know. And then people would be like, what? You know, I'm, I'm like 20, 24, 25. And like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I sort of run a startup, but that's not working at all. <laughs> and then like and I'm, I barely make any money from that. And then I play poker on the side. But like, that's not really my passion. Uh, and like, I, you know, I would go to I would go to brunch with my friends and watch them just like this is what you do when you you make a bunch of money and you have no time but they would drop like a, a fuck ton of money on food and they were and, and just they would spend like 300 bucks you know on, on, a, on a dinner and i'm like sitting there and i'm like not eating because i can't afford that you know so there's a certain sense of like shame and embarrassment when you can't when you feel like you're getting outpaced and i never and that was really hard it's, it's like the, the, the feeling of hitting the ground um was really challenging emotionally because i just i never had had i always had that emotional shelter pointing to something and be like, I'm legitimate. I'm valid. Look at me as a person. Like I'm doing something great. And then I lost that. And I had, I, my, I, I was, I was pretty broke. Um, I remember I was pretty excited when 
I could go to Chipotle and, and they asked me for if I wanted the guac and I could be like, yeah, I'll, I'll take the guac. Like, I don't care about that $2, you know? But there was a time when I would, I would go get my burrito and I'm like, uh, I don't need guacamole today, you know? Um, so anyway, it was, it was stuff like that where, uh, yeah, ultimately it was just, a, it, was, it, was a, it was a challenge because I didn't, I was, I was, support, I was always supporting myself. So, and I had no, there, and there was no, Obviously, you can get fired from a job, but there was no bottom in my life in a sense of like, it felt like it completely bottomed out at any time, right? Which is part of being an entrepreneur, part of doing anything on your own is that like, you don't have necessarily the safety net that, and, and even, even if you could go get a job, it's, it's very hard to palpably feel that sense of insecurity of like, if I have a bad month and put, and there were some times when like, there were, there were some dicey times early on when I was like very close to like, going broke where i was just like because partially just because of the variance and partially because i didn't have discipline because i was i was getting frustrated and i'd be like i would try to play stakes that were too high for my bankroll and and you know and, and when you do that it's just an absolute nightmare so and there were a couple of times when i almost went broke basically basically like rounders actually <laughs> so it's all case by case right in terms of like i had, I had friends who went to big law that were like, look i just want to support family really well I don't have a family. I'm just supporting myself. So like if I, if I bottom out, it's not like I have to go to my kids and be like, sorry guys, like we're not eating tonight. <laughs> but like, I don't, I don't have that. I don't have that sort of pressure. Right. right. So it's, it's easier for me, but, but I, so yeah, it's, it's all case by case, but I do, I do agree. There's a certain sort of emotional, spiritual richness that you have, like facing, it's very, it's very hard to face yourself in the mirror and be like, just there with yourself and everything depends on you. Like to watch yourself fail. Because I mean, I, I put failure in quotes, but like, but like the, the amount of times that I've failed over the past 10 years has, has been absurd to me. If you told me I had had this many like glaring failures, like I didn't really, I didn't really fail when I was a kid. Like I just sort of, you know, I was good at sports. I was good at school. I just like did things and they worked. And then like, all of a sudden I'm like, I'm going to change this fucking world. And like, I'm, I'm going to be the man. And then uh, <laughs> suddenly I wasn't like, what the? I'm like, what? I, this is this is a lot harder than I thought. It's not just, it's not. It's, there's nothing in a textbook or in a, a chapter where I can just sit down and read and and crush a test and be like, nice, next level. And I feel like I made this joke to my my friend the other day, but I feel like I feel like some people they just keep graduating to a higher grade. Like I feel like some people I know are just in like 35th grade now. You know, they're just like they're just like it's just just next step, next step, next step. And and again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just it's just it's just a very clear path that that has a it's very well worn and and, it, and you never have to get out of your comfort zone so to speak of just like you're never not to say there aren't immense challenges with that path because there are i mean i've been on it but i just mean like you're never challenged in the sense of like you're worried about what you're going to eat or you're like am i a failure am i a fraud like am i am i shitty at everything like who the hell am, like do am i am i just like a like a, a bookworm that, that like can only do books and like read and and do tests and like so why didn't you go to why didn't you go get a big law job? I'm sure you could have become a you know corporate associate at name your firm. Yeah, I I just um it really was that I it's sort of it was, again it was a sort of emotional like existential choice where I was like I need to start trying to do the things I'm I want to do the things I the things I want to do are so monumental that like um you know like trying to change society like I think the thing or one of the things I care about most in terms of education and why i gravitated to it is is like i said the critical thinking stuff where i think one of the biggest problems of the core of our society is misinformation and the fact that people can't process information effectively so that's trying to solve that problem is is um, a life's work 
you know, and then some. My, my thought process was like, well, I could spend five years at a firm and just like a bunch of money or I could just start trying to do the thing I want to do and like figure, figure it out and see where, see what works and what doesn't. And, you know, bounce off the ground a bunch of times, which, which just like uh, definitely happened. But I, again, and it's hard to say the counterfactual, like emotionally, I think I'm a, I think I'm the best version of myself. Like I think I'm that I have been, but I don't know. I don't know if I've gotten there. If I'd gone to a firm, I, I don't know, but I feel like now I have the sense of like, and not, and not to say I don't have anxiety or like fear or what I still have those to this day, you know, but I just, I'm more familiar with them. And I know, like, I think if you, I, I know what it's like to have no, nothing to no backup plan and no nothing in my bank account. And like, I can, it's no matter what happens right now, it's always been worse for me. <laughs> like no matter how badly I feel in terms of, if I, if I go to an investor meeting and, and it goes terribly and I say something stupid and and they're like, get out of my office. Like, it's like, oh, it's not that bad, you know, like it's been way worse. So I think that that sort of perspective is is, is really invaluable. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's why. And I think to, part of that's part of why I didn't get a big law job is I wanted to get that sense of just like I need I need to start. I need to start. There's no time like the present. You know, it's sort of fierce urgency of now kind of thought process. You also have this or it seems to me you have this side thing in poker that a lot of people, even at Harvard Law, I don't think really have like like i'm sure there are months just because the variance of returns right where things are stretched but a lot of folks graduate from law school and don't have something where they feel like short of waiting tables where yeah. they're like oh i could go do that and make money flexibly on the side yeah no absolutely and i think i've been very fortunate in that way i mean i don't want to say I'm, I'm really good at it but i'm fortunate to be good at it if that makes sense like i don't think like you know what i mean like I, it's just sort of because a lot of the things I feel like I have in life, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I feel fortunate to have them in the sense of like, I didn't do anything for my intellect necessarily. I didn't do anything for my talent. Like, and I, I feel that way about poker. It just always sort of just came to me naturally. So yeah, I think it's it's really, I've been really lucky to have that. And I don't know what I would have, and I, I think about that a lot too. I'm like, what? Because maybe it would have been better if I didn't have it because maybe I, I would have learned to code because part of the reason I didn't learn to code is this, I, could, I could always pay people to code. And I justified that and I said like, well, I could learn to code over the next two years or I could play like X hours of poker and make Y dollars and spend that on coding. And like that seems more efficient, you know, and then I could have more time and like work on the business. And but, you know, maybe it would have been better if I learned to code. Maybe I'd be like a really sharp front end and back end developer right now. And I'd be like not having to deal with all these headaches where I'm like someone makes something and it breaks and I have to wait for them to come back online because you know, that, that happens with our apps and I can't I can't fix anything. I just I just tell people what to do and they do it, but I can't fix it, which is so frustrating. Um, but yeah, so so I don't I, it's a I don't know if that answers your question, but so you mentioned a couple of times that you are working on a startup, you're working on raising money. Tell us what you're working on, how you got the idea, where you are in the process. Yeah, so I'll just keep giving you the the arc, the the really brief arc. So when I was doing the education stuff, um, obviously the the 2016 fake news whole political crisis started happening. And we were doing a logic game for high school students um, that helped them teach them critical thinking skills. And, and we were finding that actually people um, who were using this game were more inclined to be charitable to agreement to arguments they disagreed with. Um, so we wanted, and that was a huge, that is a huge problem, right? It's like, how do you get people to get out of their echo chamber and pay attention to something that they don't agree with? So we wanted to bring that to a broader audience. So we started 
something called Thoughtful, which was a political news website that was two-sided. It would have, you know, pro and con in every issue. So it didn't matter whether it's like, should you build the wall? Um, should we raise taxes on the rich? Um, should abortion be legal? Whatever. You would have both sides and they would be very clearly articulated with sources and reasons and on and on and on. Um, and I was doing that for a while. And then it became clear that um, misinformation in that way, political misinformation is a social problem. It's not a personal problem. So um, I realized that I wanted to work on consumer misinformation first to sort of back into the political misinformation. Again, so this has a long arc of how it came about, and I'll spare you all the sort of twists and turns, but obviously I know the gambling industry extremely well, and um, misinformation in the gambling industry is its lifeblood, quite frankly. like That's how they survive, is just by hustling people and, and getting them to do things they wouldn't normally do. So uh, that's what I'm working on right now, specifically in the sports betting industry. So we're uh, actually creating, a, people don't know this, but sports betting is basically rigged, and that either you lose like 95 to 99% of people do, or you, you spend the time and energy and effort to get really good and win. And then they ban you from betting, which is like, they do the same thing as we count cards in blackjack, right? So you're playing against the house. So um, I'm banned on most or a lot of sports books in New Jersey because I've won and they don't want my business basically. Uh, so you know, the real, so the problem, so again, the problem with the industry is that it's, it's rigged. Sports betting is rigged. It's confusing. It's presented as this fun social experience. So that's, that's what we're fixing now. So we've created an app that's a, a new sports betting style game um, that's free and social and fun and recreates a lot of the really good things about sports and uh, enjoyment of sports that I think are going to be really powerful. Basically, uh, as I said, you know, sports betting is rigged, right? So we've created a game that you can choose. Uh, you can play with your friends and you can choose uh, the winner wins something or the loser gets a consequence. So say you want to, you know, the winner gets a free, it's actually called play for lunch. So the idea is it's supposed to be a fun, low stakes way to gamble with your, you know, gamble with your friends on things that are, or you could do it with your significant other. You could be like, are right, you're on kid duty tonight because you lost the game or you have to walk the dog or you have to take out the trash or, um, you know, you do it with your friends, you have to buy me lunch or a consequence, like I said, where it's like, uh, hey, you have to do some prank, you have to do something funny, or you have to go you know, ask out a girl at the bar, or whatever whatever it is. But the idea is it's a, it's a social fun experience with sports betting rather than a financially losing proposition. And I, and I really do think it's going to expand the market wildly because the reality is most sports fans don't sports bet because it's, it's not fun <laughs> and, and they lose. Um, so yeah, I think I, I really do think it's a, a really powerful experience. And it's coming out before in the next couple. It's already out in the app stores, actually. Um, but it will be... What's it called? It's called Play for Lunch with a four. So, But it's kind of like a house that's 80% painted right now. And over the next week, it'll be fully formed. So, uh, But it looks good. I mean, I'm really happy with how the app's coming out. I'm really happy with where it's going. I think it's going to be uh, the right place to start. Because if we can do this effectively, if we can remake the sports betting industry in a way, then I think... Uh, a nice tangent of that is we can have the best information and the best analytics in sports betting because everyone will be putting in their picks on our app. So then we can we can fix the misinformation in sports betting and uh, a lot of the stuff we can do can translate to other industries. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very confident and comfortable in our approach. And I, again, you know, this has sort of been a, I think like, like we were talking about, like I don't know counterfactually like where I would have ended up, but this is a very effective place for me given all my experience and everything um, that I've been through. How have you thought about raising money? You mentioned a couple of times that you, you've been, you know, out trying to raise some money for this, but that a lot of previous projects have been bootstrapped or 
more precisely sort of funded by poker. Yeah, um, exactly. But, but like, yeah. What what motivated you in this instance to go look for for some outside capital? And what was that process like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I started saying to my friends as a joke, I'm like, you know, my 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 poker funds my business addiction because I'm addicted to trying to start businesses and change the world. And like, like, why don't you just play poker full time and like make a bunch of money? I'm like, well, I just don't like I don't really it's not a passion. I don't necessarily enjoy it. It's just something to pay the bills. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess I've gotten tired of, in a way of, I, I've always felt like the vision could be compromised if I give up the company too early to investors. And I think, and in a lot of ways, I, to be honest, I think we would have crashed and burned in different ways. Cause I, and, and someone said this to me when I was pitching one of my ideas to them, but they were like, your idea has a really good social component. I think it's really powerful, but like as a business, it's, it's, it's a zero, it's a zero. Like you're going to, the business is going to crash and burn, Like you need to make a business uh, if you want to change the world through business. So I think I've done that finally because I'm, I'm so geared towards like, how do I solve the social problem? And like, oh, we'll make money later. Um, but this, this I'm very confident has, is a business problem with a business solution that also has a social problem and social solution. So I think it's a really elegant mix of the two. So I think it's finally time to raise money and scale because, uh, you know, there's that thought of like, if you're not building a rocket, don't go get rocket fuel, which is VC. Like there's a lot of ways to run a business and a lot of them don't need VC. So um, I think this is a way, this is a, I, I think I've built a rocket. I just need, I just need the fuel. So I'm, now I have to go ask people for money, uh, which is uncomfortable. We, if we do this properly, uh, we'll have the best sports betting data in the world because the reality is that uh, the most rich data is what the public thinks. Like, so public sentiment, um, because when you know what the public thinks, you actually tend to know the opposite is usually correct in sports betting. So um, it's very monetizable data in that way. And I, I, I could get into all the industry reasons of why. But the idea is to clean up the industry and make it clear, like, also who the winners are, because uh, we have we have very rigorous tracking of p- people that input uh, picks on our site. So we can actually show you who the best in the world are at, at sports betting. So instead of there's a whole market of people that sell predictions and sell picks. And it's very underhanded and people lie and people make stuff up. Um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy for the market, which I, I'm losing at this point. But but any any event, it's, it's basically like people saying like, hey, I pick I pick 75 percent winners and people in the industry, to people outside the industry. That sounds good. But the reality is the best in the world pick at 57 percent. That's the best in the world. Pick at 57 percent. Um, so, you know, when the people are saying 75 or 80 percent, they people that are naive and don't know the industry are like, oh, of course I'm going to buy the person's picks that says they pick at 80%. That that makes total sense. Why would I get a person that's getting a, an F on the sports betting test when I get a person that's getting an A and say, that, oh, they get 90% of their picks correct. So that 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 will be what we clean up is we can, we can actually show the best of the best in the world. And then from there, I think we can go to um, misinformation in other domains. Really, really the, the, the business model is to gather domain experts in every domain and create a social... Uh, recommendation platform. So that's that's really what this sports betting platform is in a way uh, that we'd be backing into with the game. Because we have a social recommendation platform that shows you, hey, these are the best bets and these people are the best bettors. So you could do that with a number of industries, any industry really. You could do that with, you know, wine. You could do that with streaming. You could do that with whatever. Um, it's, it's connecting people to better information. Ultimately, that's really the mission. So we can connect people to the best information in sports betting. I'm confident we, that we can connect people to the best information in other domains as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. But uh, but no, but in all seriousness, I do think that it comes down to actually having a really good network of because why why are sports betting platforms so strong right now? And, and it, its biggest strength is the people on it. And I think if you got like a bunch of master sommeliers on a wine platform or a bunch of like really elite um, movie recommenders or TV recommenders or something like that on a TV and show platform or whatever, whatever it is, it really comes down to the people that you have and um, and, and curating those people with machine learning. And that's really what we're doing is, is finding the best of the social experience and curating that with machine learning and, and creating a good incentive for information because the reality is most information companies don't have an incentive for good information. They have an incentive for sensational information. Um, and that's and that's really what's baked into like Facebook and Google and things like and those sorts of platforms. Um, and I really want to create a company that that is built on, um, you know, the quality of the information, not the not the clickability of the information. You're incentivized to provide information that that captures attention, which is not necessarily the most quality information or the clearest information. And to be honest, I think it, I think it, it's 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 not just like um, sort of pie. It's not like eating your vegetables, you know, because I think that's how it's presented as like, well, if we present a really quality information, people aren't going to read it because you know there's going to be all this sensational shit that people are going to be like, well, it's so much more interesting. Like I'd much rather click that. But the reality is, if you if you help people solve a problem in their lives and you help them solve it more quickly, uh, the, the the analogy I sort of I give is like. Google, Google to me is like a paper map, right? So it gets you from point A to, uh, you, guys are, you guys remember paper maps, right? Before, before we had Google Maps. Um, but, but yeah, you get from point A to point B, but you got to make your own way, right? Whereas there's no informational platform that sort of like holds your hand and guides you. If you're like, I have, I have a need and I want to make a decision and it guides you through there effectively. And it says like, well, here's things that would help you and here's things that would help you. And here's... Right now you have to make your own way. Like if I search on Google, like I want the best wine, I'm going to get a, a bunch of sites and, you know, some of them might curate stuff and some of them might help. But but the experience is very splintered. There's not one centralized location where you can be like, I trust this informational source to basically make the decision for me, knowing my parameters and knowing my. So you could input like, oh, I want a full bodied. Well, I don't know anything about warrants. So I'm just going to make no sense. But I want a full bodied red and I want it to be from France and I want it to be recommended by a master sommelier and I want it to be between 50 and 75 dollars. Right. And like, and it spits out a recommendation and that, that's actually a good recommendation. That's not really something that exists. And that's what I think we're building in a way we're building back into is that sort of next generation of informational platform. Um, so yeah, that's what, that's, that, that's what excites me. But again, that's, that's a lifetime of work. So that's why, that's why I didn't get a. So when you asked me why I didn't get a firm job, that's why. But in terms of being happy with my career, like I think the only things I regret are not being more effective or efficient and doing the things I wanted to do. So I think I wish, like I said, I wish I, I wish I learned to code. I wish I did uh, more business stuff. I wish I, the things that I need on a day-to-day basis, I wish I learned those faster rather than um, just sort of cobbling my way through them. And, and this is sort of my, my answer to the question of like, should you go to law school? I think it involves a lot of introspection and being like, what do I really want to do? Like, what do I like? Like, what's my ambition? And like, and what are the steps to me getting there? And not just being like, well, I could practice for a few years and then I could jump ship and like start my own business or something like that. But But really being like, no, what what thing do I want to do and what skills do I need to actually accomplish that? And if law isn't one of those skills, you need to accomplish what you really want, um, then I would say don't go. And again, what you really want is a really complicated question, right? Like most people go their whole lives without knowing that. And, and it's hard it's hard to even know for people that do have that level of introspection. It's hard to even know, do I really do I really want this or do I think I want this? Or, you know, it gets very meta at a certain point, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that um, and that's really, I think, the process that I wish I had gone through more practically because I knew the kinds of things I want to do. But I sort of 
I guess I was lazy in that I was just like, this seems like a safe option, you know, the law school stuff. And I, and I thought like, okay, I can do appellate law and that seems cool. And I can, I can do social change through appellate law. But I, but I very quickly realized that wasn't realistic, you know, and that's, and that's what I mean. If I had done, just gotten to the next level of introspection and been like, what is my career going to look like? Should I like go actually, you know, I was, I was very happy to read cases like Brown versus Board and Row and debate them in class. But then when I actually, when it actually got down to like the, the reality of like, wait, legal practice is going to be nothing like this. Like, I'm not going to be in front of the Supreme Court having this great debate with like nine justices about the law. And then they're going to hear some amazing argument. And I made it be like, wow, Brian, like, let's change the law because you're so smart and great. <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I think like I think getting rid of that sort of naive element and being more practical and realistic about what law is going to be like for you or whatever you're doing is going to be like for you. I wish I wish I had done that more. Um, because I think I think I was just sort of flip. I was flipping about it. I was just like, ah, you know, I'll figure it out. Like I've always figured it out. Whatever. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But yeah, in hindsight, I wish I'd done more. More actually, not because it's not even it's not even introspection. It's just like practical, getting more practical experience with the thing. You know, quick while we but I mean, I do think that um, we tend to take a lot for granted in life. And like I, I heard someone say, I think it was Steve Jobs. He probably stole it from someone, but he's like said something along the lines of like everything around you was made up by someone that's no smarter than you. So just to sort of conform to it and to go along with it is not necessarily the right way to go about life. And that's not to say it's wrong for you. I mean, it's really not like, it, but, but to have that level of like, what do I want out of life and what is this and does this mean? And that's, I think that's what you guys are kind of getting both of you in, in different ways. It's like, if you're doing law, like make sure you identify with that path and make sure it's something that matters to you. Make sure you have a reason for it, you know, and not, and not just the reason of like, Oh, I'm smart. I'm good at school, and this is I, I can make money at this. But a deeper reason that's like, oh, I actually identify with this because I can support my family, or I love legal work, or like I just don't. I, I wanna, I wanna take great vacations, or whatever, whatever, whatever you want. It does what like success to me. Like success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, and I stole that from someone as well. But like it's 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 really just like setting a goal and knowing that goal and having that purpose and that faith to achieve that goal. Right. And, and I can't say, I can't sit here and set goals for people, but I can say that I see a lot of it. I see some irrationality with people where they just sort of don't have that goal. And I think it's where people end up floundering is that like, they don't have a sense of where they're. And, and I, and I, and not to say, I mean, I flounder all the time, but like just having, having that purpose and having, um, and, and working for that and trying to figure that out is, is a very important endeavor, I think. And, and not, an, and, and not, and not something our society supports quite frankly. On that cheery note, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, it's been really awesome to to hear your story. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks, thanks for the time. And I'm um, excited to listen to the podcast. And thanks for bringing, bringing light to the, the, the lawyers and showing them there's another way. Because I think that's, I think just people getting to see that there's more. It's encouraging, I feel like, for people to see that there's other ways to do things. Because so much of life is just imitation, right? And being able to see that there's a, another route is really valuable. So thanks for bringing people together on that note. Hello, Winding Paths listeners. You know what I'm gonna ask you. Scroll down. Give me a five-star review. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll spare you the rest of the song. Share this with a friend who's thinking about law school. Who's thinking about what to do after law school. Give someone the gift of multiple perspectives for this holiday season. It costs you nothing. 
It encourages me to do more of this and empowers your confused friend to ask smarter questions about big decisions in their lives. As always, you can reach me at joseph at getsomeclass.com or connect to me on LinkedIn. You should also send whoever takes care of virtual events for your team at work to me so I can help them plan all their events for the year and not need to worry about finding someone for each program. This way I can make lots of money and continue creating awesome stuff like this for you to listen to. In the meantime, may you walk your own winding path well.